Hey guys, welcome to episode number 46 of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. This is Keir from Rugby Strength Coach. In today's episode, you're going to hear the conversation that I had with Chris McCormick, who is Director of Athletic Performance at Gardner-Webb University in North Carolina in the USA. This is a Division I university where Chris is primarily responsible for the physical preparation of men's basketball and men's American football. To be completely honest with you, I can't remember how I started interacting with Chris. I think it was through exchanging messages on Instagram, um, but I soon realized that he's doing excellent work at Gardner-Webb. A number of the ideas and concepts that I'm trying to implement right now in a team setting and finding difficulty with, he's actually able to implement that in his situation, which is arguably more difficult because of the rules that exist within the NCAA, uh, lack of resources, lack of staff and, and lack of time. So for that reason, I wanted to jump on the podcast and pick his brains about a variety of different topics. This included the, the famous Michael Yesis 1x20 program, how he makes it work in his team environment, how he progresses it as the athletes accommodate to the stress, and how we overcome some of the, the cultural issues that you may encounter in contact sports like American football and rugby, where the players and sometimes the coaches are brainwashed into thinking that more is better, because obviously one set per exercise is an extremely minimal dose approach to physical preparation. We discussed his approach to progression of single leg squats, touching on some of the concepts that I discussed with Chris Corfis, namely the idea that isometric and eccentric muscle contraction are arguably more important to on-field performance than a standard up and down barbell lifting program. We also discussed the ideas of our mutual acquaintance, John Pryor, who obviously was head of strength and conditioning with Japan at the Rugby World Cup. John is probably best well known for taking the ideas of Franz Bosch and implementing them in a team environment in my opinion, with a lot of success and the numbers to back it up. I, I kind of joke and say that John Pryor and Chris Corfist is Franz Bosch for people that care about numbers. Some really, really interesting ideas being discussed uh, in this part of the podcast and actually things that didn't come up when I spoke to uh, John myself. So it was interesting to, to get some, some more background on those ideas. Lastly, we talked a little bit about the difficulties of operating within the NCAA framework, namely the limit on contact hours between coaches and athletes, and also uh, trying to overcome the challenge of individualization in athletes' programs when resources and staff and time may be somewhat limited. Now, if you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to check out more information like it, be sure to check out the Rugby Strength Coach community. This is an exclusive members website that I've created just for coaches and it offers a unique combination of video lectures, online discussion and career advice that's going to help you to take your coaching career to the next level. Each month we offer a 60 minute video lecture from a strength and conditioning coach working at the elite or professional level of sport on a topic that is dear to their heart. This is not just the stuff that you get taught that matters when you do your accreditation, your UKSCA or your degree. This is the stuff that keeps elite level coaches up at night that really matters in their job in the real world. We've got presentations from guys that work in the NFL, professional soccer, elite level track and field, uh, the NRL in Australia and New Zealand, international rugby, professional cycling, the list goes on. We have over 30 hours of video lectures and the list is growing all the time and you will get access to all of these when you sign up to become a member of the Rugby Strength Coach community. Not only this, but you're going to get access to the online discussion forum. We have hundreds of members from all over the world working at the very, very top of the game all the way down to novice coaches. Here, you're going to be able to discuss every strength and conditioning topic under the sun to ask questions and get answers and share resources. Lastly, we also offer a special area of the forum dedicated to career development. Here, you're going to be able to get advice from coaches who have been there, done it, brought the t-shirt and worked at the highest level of the industry. Here, you're going to get advice and all the things you need to do to build the career that you want, including networking, CV writing, interview prep, and climbing the ladder. So if that sounds good to you and you'd like to try it out, just go to rugbystrengthcoach.com members and enter the code word trial. This is going to allow you to sign up for 24 hours at the price of just one pound. If you like it, keep it and you can sign up to become a regular member. If you don't, just get in contact with us, cancel it. There's no strings attached. If you don't like it and it's not for you, no problem. But for now, sit back and enjoy the podcast. Chris, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm glad we finally managed to get this one on the books because, uh, you know, for the, the background to this, we've probably been trying to make this happen for like a month. Is that right? Yes, that's. Uh, there's either been a parenting crisis or some other event or pop-up, uh, I guess, practices out of the blue, which I guess all strength and conditioning coaches or physical preparation coaches can surely appreciate and understand, so... 
it's it's good to good to get it done. So um, yes, sir. to to introduce yourself to to people listening, uh, who are you and what do you do? Cool. Uh, my name is Chris McCormick. I am the director of athletic performance at Gardner Webb University in Bowling Springs, North Carolina. We are a smaller Division One university um, in the football level. For anybody that's listening, American football wise, we are the FCS level. Um, I've been here a little over two years. Um, I was at Eastern Kentucky University for two years. Um, I was a head strength coach at Division II school, uh, University of West Alabama. And then I was an intern slash assistant at Charleston Southern University, which is another FCS level school. Um, prior to that, um, I went into coaching primarily for American football. I was a student assistant and an intern and thought that's what I wanted to do. And um, I was at actually Charleston Southern and met the strength coach that they recently hired and uh, he talked to me a little bit and was like, hey, why don't you come to the weight room and um, check this out? And we kind of lifted and trained together. So I was in there and um, first day uh, I started running a drill. He threw me into the fire and said, do this agility drill and you got it. And once I did that, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, and my background, even in education wise, is um, both of my degrees are in psychology. So my bachelor's degree is in psychology and my master's degree is actually in school psychology with an emphasis in neuropsychology. So I planned on going for my PhD in neuropsychology and, and practicing and going into the sports realm of sports neuropsychology with concussions and TBIs and different things like that. But I coached in college and um, just felt like I was called back to do that. So that's, that's going to be quite interesting. You know, do you think that gives you like a, a different perspective to a lot of coaches because you've almost got like fresh eyes and you're not coming up through the structure that may be quite antiquated and traditional, if you know what I mean. But that, you, know, you know what I'm getting at with the questions that we talked about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, some of the things that, you know, I kind of got into with strength and conditioning and just really being a people profession. Um, I wasn't traditionally in the exercise science um, physio type of degree. Um, and I kind of got my exposure. I know James Smith, the thinker, talks about all the time. And a lot of the, the basic things when I started, um, I guess you would say principle-wise or philosophy-wise, was very Buddy Morris, very James Smith-based. And a lot of the Eastern Bloc texts and all those things, that's what I initially read. So when I started reading those things, and like I said, I know James talks about it a lot, I went into the strength and conditioning realm and just kind of exploring and different things like that. And the combination of that and my, my education background, you know, just working with people and interviewing and all those things, it gave me a different perspective because I saw it from outside and not the traditional, what you would say, strength and conditioning in the United States. Um, and I think that's tremendously helped me because I'm, I'm very open-minded and especially different situations I've been in and different schools I've went to, if they've been successful or not successful, I feel like I have to be that way because I feel like if I do the same thing everyone else does, um, and we get different results then I, you know, I really need to find something and continue to explore whatever it takes to make our athletes better. And I know we'll probably talk about some of the things we do. Um, but I've been super open-minded about it. And a lot of people have influenced me in that direction. So, you mean, some of the stuff that you're, that you're bringing in, I, well, it's probably not unfair to say that, like, if you had to sum up the stereotypical American football program, it would be like the Bill Star five by five you you do the big power lifts you power clean and that's pretty much it but then some of the stuff that you've been bringing in for example the dr yeses one by 20 program uh the ankle rocker stuff rpr being very minimalist also some of the franz bosch type motor learning drills that's got to be a real culture shock to the athletes in your program who obviously have training that's probably quite different to that in high school the big question I have is like, how do you how do you counteract that and change those habits and convince the guys that uh, you know what you're talking about, and then obviously you produce the results later on. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a unique situation because the the school I was at previously, um, you know, our school overall won the Commissioner Cup of the OVC for the conference that we were in, and that was you know the best overall school teams wise. And um, the football team um, that I was an assistant with as a strength and conditioning coach, we made the playoffs. The basketball team that I worked with made the NCAA tournament and almost beat Kansas in the NCAA tournament. Um, There's a lot of other successful sports. And, you know, even when my one of my mentors that, that hired me there, 
Um, he's very Olympic lifting based coach. And I was not, I came in even from a situation where we may not have the equipment to be able to Olympic lift in my mind properly. Um, and he hired me anyways, cause I came from a very buddy Morris, um, type background. I'm like, Oh, I, I hate Olympic lifting. You shouldn't do it. We're going to do all these other different things to get to the same purpose. And I can show you how I'm going to do it. And you know, almost the power lifting type of mentality coming in. Um, and when I came to my, the, the school I'm at right now, Gardner Webb, there hasn't been a tremendous amount of success. And, you know, coming in, I right off the bat didn't do any Olympic lifting and, and really the previous staff and a lot of the athletes had a ton of experience with it. So that right there was a culture shock in itself because you think about football, you think about Olympic lifting, you think about, like you said, some of the, the traditional strength-based programs and maybe just straight linear periodization. We're going to work up to a max day and do all these things. Um, and for me, implementing that and going through the first season, that's kind of where I, I started stumbling and, and diving deeper into the Eastern Block stuff. And that's where I met Joseph Johnson with Ultimate Athlete Concepts. I met Jeff Moyer and, and kind of started hearing some of the things like you mentioned with Dr. Yeses um, and hearing some of their results. And when I heard those results, um, I think Yosef told me something like, so if you're working with a college basketball player, what's the minimal amount you think you should be able to add to their vertical jump? you know, with the time there. And I was like, I don't know, like four to five inches. And he was like, if I don't add a foot, then I'm going to be disappointed. And I'm like, like wow. what? Like 12 inches of someone's <laughs> vertical. Like that's, that's, that's crazy. Um, so I, you know, I was testing it on myself. I was testing different things like that. And the minimalist type of ideas, how much, you know, is too little if you don't know, or if you've done too much. Um, that's something I know it's been, you know, passed around in the field and you see it on social media and this whole minimal effective dose type of thing. Um, but going that route, especially football is so more, 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 more based. Um, and a lot of the other sports that I work with, you do something like the one by 20, if people know what that is. Um, and it's very easy because now they see it and they're like, Oh, this is all we have to do, but you're still getting great results. And when I've shifted my thinking towards that, instead of focusing, focusing on trying to gain strength and me saying myself, it's, you know, not the most important thing. Getting strong can be pretty easy. Um, I started not focusing on as much and numbers were going higher and higher. And that's where I think that caught on more of the football players, because when you don't lift heavy weights all the time and do all these different things, you know, the football players may look at you cross-eyed, but then when you start seeing the results, maybe in the middle of the semester, at the end of the semester, when we did testing, and that's where a lot of guys caught in, and then more people come in, and more recruiting classes, and then they're like, okay, like this is they don't know anything else, um, and I feel like we've gotten some pretty good results. Uh, I know I shared some of the stuff that we've done, um, but it, it's a challenge. It, it, I've told everybody, especially with some of the one by twenty based things and the minimalist type things, it is a challenge because if you leave the workout not laying on the ground puking. You know, most people think it wasn't good. And I, and we try to, you know, preach that and push that, that let's do enough to, to move the needle today. Let's get better at something. Um, so those adaptation reserves are still there. So whatever else is going on in your life, you know, we're just taking enough to get better. And we'll come back the next day and try to do that over and over and over again. And invariably, if you look at like Brian Mann's research, there is a lot going on outside of sport, which can have an impact, right? Yes. And I, and that's, I mean, with college students and, and team sports and, and being a college strength conditioning coach for people that are listening that may not be in the United States or, or whatever situation you're in, it becomes, you know, I can't, and I don't have an influence on practice. So it becomes for me, I can be the one not say back off, but give the right dose. And if me giving the right dose is going to help us push forward, um, and the sports coaches are doing what they're going to do and practice and different times they have, with all the NCAA rules and things like that, um, you know, I feel like I've had to take a look at everything I do. And, and that's really what Yosef and Jeff and them have, have made me think is like, what are you doing and why do you do it? And if, if you don't have a good reason and you're not just changing exercises to change them as you're kind of bored and you think you just need to do it. Um, I think that's been a huge thing for me because now I evaluate my program. Like I really don't need this because I don't know if it's working or not. And the more I change things, the more I don't know what maybe directly is, is affecting adaptation and increasing numbers or decreasing numbers of those things. So the more I've, you know, kind of flatlined a lot of different things um, and, you know, not had as much change, I feel like I've been able to see more what works and what doesn't work. 
um, quantitatively and qualitatively. And, um, you know, we're continuing to try to collect that data and, and try different things like of that nature. But, um, you know, to say the least, it's been interesting and, and try to implement that at a college um, where you only have X amount of time and you have, you know, 50 athletes in there at one time, how can you accomplish that? And that's kind of the, the holy grail, I think, that I'm trying to trying to find in this whole process. So how, what are the, the NCAA rules and how do they affect what you do? So, you know, depending on in-season, off-season, off-season usually we have eight hours of contact. Um, and that is, you know, if it's in the spring semester for football, they would have eight hours and we majority of the time have those eight hours. Now the rules have changed in terms of practice time and can the coach of that sports team have more, you know, contact with the athletes? Can they not see them at all? And then you get into some of the voluntary stuff during the summer. But once you get in season, there's usually a 20 hour rule. So you have to figure out how you're going to, you know, kind of break up those hours as you go. And most of the time when we get in season, my time is, is, is dropped down. But the off season, a lot of times I might be the one that sees the athlete the most and they might just maybe watch film on their own and, and the coaches are around. Um, but there's nothing that they have to do with their sports coach where, you know, certain teams have skill sessions all the time that I may just have a little bit of time. So it, it just varies team to team. We have 22 sports here. So um, there's a huge you know difference amongst all those teams. Yeah. And you, you find that that minimalist approach allows you to try and hit everything that you need to and operate within those rules. Yeah. And, you know, kind of doing the minimalist thing, there's not really, I would say, exercise wise and, and, and you know, I guess method wise, I've, I've added some new things, but I think I've looked at it more in the sense of, do I need to do this much volume? Yeah. The less volume I do on certain things and the more I can do overall, if I'm trying to work on different, I guess you would say qualities or, um, concurrently i guess because you know if i'm only doing five exercises but doing four to five sets with each exercise well like with the one by 20 you know you might be hitting you know 17 to 20 exercises but you're only doing one set of each so you can kind of work across the board and even with the sprinting you know a lot of people either don't do true speed work or they say they don't have time because of the rest intervals or they can't get athletes to understand that you need to rest two minutes up to two minutes for every 20 yards you're sprinting and they don't understand why we have to stand there and why can't we just knock it out real quick. And, that's um, that's true, know, kinds... true anxiety as a coach is when, yes. you, when you feel the eyes on you during a four-minute rest period. <laughs> yeah, and, and like you exactly said, or you know, asking about it, it's, you know, I wouldn't say you have to Houdini things sometimes, but sometimes, you know, it's not as easy for some people that are not in the collegiate setting to tell me this works, I need to do it, and... I try to attempt it and I'm like, there's no way this is going to work regardless of you have the most disciplined team or not. You know, there's certain things you have to, you know, kind of go about to make sure things go well. And the, and the athletes understand that, but you know, with speed work and those different things, I, I feel like the minimalist approach time-wise works the best, but obviously it also works probably adaptation wise because we're probably doing too much anyways. So if you're doing too much on top of all the other things that they're doing, stress, you know, family life, social life, their sport, all those things, um, you know, how much of an impact do we really need to have? But you also got to figure out what's the most important thing you need to do with those athletes. And I think that's the hardest thing because now I look at everything as I just don't want to do too much. But you have that urge down deep down in your gut as a strength coach. You're like, no, we need to keep going. Like there, there needs to be more. Um, and I think that's really the hardest thing because I found the more I pull back, the better results that we get. And you know, the thing is, I've, I've, I've discovered as well that it's actually easy to be a tough guy coach and to train and train and train and train because yes. even a stop clock is right twice a day. At some point in that four hours of training, you might do something good. But if yeah. I give you 45 minutes, the pressure's on now because you have to, you have to cram everything you have quality-wise into those 45 minutes. So yeah, and, it's, and it's counterintuitive. It's, it's actually harder to do. Yeah, and, and, and that's something I've talked to my staff about even too and other people is, you know, some people ask me, okay, you do one set of this or one set of a jump. And, you know, depending on your philosophy, a lot of the, the jumping progressions that we may do is, is based off Vergashansky and Dr. Yeses. Yeah, same. Um, you know, extensive to intensive. And um, I did a lot of those things before. 
Um, but I've, I've cut it down and I feel like I'm more focalized on certain types of jumps and, and more of the extensive base jumps in the beginning and really hammering those and not moving on until really technique um, will push it into more of an intensive method. But, you know, you tell somebody one jump set and they're like, okay, and comparing it to doing three to four, well, you might get lucky of a really good set out of those three to four, but if we're only doing one, you have to do it well. I mean, like you can't just screw around and move on um, and just cover your bases like a checklist. And I, I say the same thing when if we do one set of squats. Like you got one shot to go at this. You talk about getting one percent better every day. You got one chance. You're either going to go up and wait or reps, or we're going to really see what's going on. Yeah. And I think that is you know a way to sell it. Um, but again, it, uh, it's the push of tying in work ethic and, and hard work. Does that mean more? Does that mean just being efficient with what you've been given? And I think that's really the hardest thing with the minimalist. Cause like I said, you sometimes have to sell it in a different way, but you're trying to get the best to get the adaptation and, and giving that to the athletes and getting them to understand that. So never confusing kind of busyness with effectiveness. Exactly. And, and with time, and I may have 45 minutes with the team. Um, I had men's basketball today, and I had an hour, and some of the guys had skill after it. And depending on what we're doing and in time, and I tell a lot of coaches, is, you know, you can give me or ask me the most optimal situation. But really, for me, it's I, I need to see what the time is in the scheduling, because that's the one thing that's going to conflict a lot of things is can I even get anything done that I want to get done yeah. in the time that you're giving me? Or is it going to change? Is there going to be, you know, facility restrictions and all those things? And that's where I think even my mindset on plans and all those things, is it's not just a, a hard set plan. I have plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. And I have a template kind of place of like if this happens. I've kind of been in the game a little bit where I can understand, let's just change this, not do this and, and try to make where the athletes don't see it. We're like, why are we cutting all this stuff out? Like, is there something going on and try to sell it to like, this is all we're going to do today and, and kind of how you communicate those, those things to them too. So what, what would a typical weekly setup look like for say football and preseason? How, how do you organize your week? So, you know, during the springtime, I guess the best example would be the summer. Um, you know, depending on, you know, the, the facilities, you know, we have 22 teams. Most of our teams either go home, um, mostly the whole football team and the whole basketball team, women's basketball, and, and a select few other teams are on campus. Um, but even this past summer, you know, we would go four days a week. Um, we would have an upper-lower type of high-low system. Um, again, a lot of my, my background and my ideas started in kind of the Charlie Francis philosophy and, and from Buddy Morris and, you know, especially this summer implementing some different ideas and, and continuing on with some of Dr. Yes's stuff and trying to add a little bit of Franz Bosch. I know Jeff Moyer may hear this and, and may just totally bash <laughs> me for that, but, um, Him and Hank. <laughs> yes some of the, the ideas and, and, and things like and concepts like that, but it was a very high low base system. We go upper, low, upper, upper, lower body. Um, we would do, you know, in the beginning part of the summer was more power based. Um, so a lactic power. And then towards the end of the summer was, you know, more a lactic capacity, getting the guys ready um, for the demands of their sport and what's going to happen in practice. In the beginning of the summer it was, you know, just absolute speed work. So we'd have an acceleration day, we would have a max velocity day and we would time everything. But we, you know, when I went to the track football consortium two years ago, um, and, and learned some of the, the be activate and what's called the RPR stuff. Now, um, Tony Holler and, and Chris Corfus, who I know was on the show, talked a lot about the drop off methods that they did for some of their linear speed work. Cause they're, they're track coaches. And, um, so we would do drop offs if it dropped off 3%, um, we would stop guys and some guys, you know, on average would get three to four rep, reps, whatever we're going to, it'd be around 20 to, to 40 yards. And depending on the acceleration of the max velocity days. Um, and then we would do flying sprints on the other day. Um, and then we would do all our jumps, all our med ball throws outside. And then we'd go inside and do a variation of one by 20. And, and most of our guys on those lower body days, um, you know, we never worked up to a, a max or a heavy single, or I would even say, 90%. Um, we stayed in probably the 50 to 85% range. So for anybody that knows of the, the one by 20 system, we stay between the twenties 
and the eights. And that's dictated by if guys can progress and whatever movement. So some of our older guys will be in the eights. Some guys that I feel were strong enough. Uh, we have several guys that this past spring weighed 170, 180 running back slash wide receivers, and they hit 405 to 450 for eight reps. And I mean, they're, I mean, they can squat double, almost triple their body weight for eight reps. And it's for me, it's like, okay, you're strong enough. Let's move you to some velocity based training methods. And um, we have a couple tendos and, and doing different things like that. Um, but then even on the upper body days, we would follow the same concept, but we would do more tempo based runs. Um, it'd be split up between bigs, power skill and skill. The skill would do more volume. Um, the power skill were kind of intermediate and the bigs, um, would either do some type of sled drag or they would run tempos and all the volumes are based off of Charlie Francis and Derek Hans and what he talks about. Um, I think in his optimal tempo run article that he wrote a while back. Um, and we still keep those concepts. Um, but we still progress. We kind of, I've kind of mixed and matched a lot of things from, from Charlie and from Dr. Yesis and try to progress them in a linear fashion from lower intensity to higher intensity once we get into the summer. Um, and then we kind of bled in some of the, the Franz Bosch things. And a lot of our drills on aerobic days, we did some multi-directional tempo. Um, we added some of the concepts with some environmental changes, um, different things where guys would have their hands above their head. Guys would have something out in front of them, like a plate or something like that. And um, I spoke to John Pryor. Um, I believe he's in Fiji now. And I, I had lunch with him a couple of weeks ago. Really? Yeah, great conversation. So, we talked, I mean, and I was trying to, you know, I had Fran's book and I'm just like trying to read this thing and I'm like, I have no, his new one. I'm like, I have no idea what this is. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm trying to get concepts out of everything like that. So I talked to, to John and he really made it simple of, um, you know, the, you know, the qualities that he's trying to hit. I know he talked about, um, spinal and torso tension and hip lock and torso being dynamic in the torso. So a lot of the drills that we did with the multi-directional tempo were, were very low intensity. We didn't have heart rate monitors or anything like that, but I felt like the intensity levels were low enough that it wasn't going to take away from a high day when we sprinted. Um, and we added some of those concepts into it. Um, and we, you know, we added pieces of turf. I know Chris Corfus talks about that, but we did that in our tempo work. And then when we got to the capacity-based things where we sped up the drills, then that's where we had some drills where we'd have pieces of turf all over the place and guys would do cutting drills in the turf with other pieces of turf on there. And if guys didn't plant and hip lock and explode out, you know, guys would fall. And I know John was always telling, he's like, you know, 10 to 30% failure rate in your drills. And we had some guys eat it and do some things where they, they trip over something, they do something and they, they did it correctly from then on. And I think that's the biggest thing I'm taking from Fran's stuff is just the environmental change. And it, you know, it's really not his stuff, but more of thinking in that route of, okay, I can change the environment and I don't necessarily change my exercise as much, but I can do similar drills that I know are going to transfer. Um, but I may just change how they perceive those drills, just like using wickets, just use like, you know, we talked about the turf, um, and implemented that into the, the ALI capacity block towards the end of the summer. Um, and, and that's pretty much it. I mean, we do a lot of things where I try to get the athletes to get to a point where you're working to something. If it's a, a rep max, like in the one by 20 system, if it's a drop off in the sprints, um, where they have something to shoot for every single day. And I think, you know, getting those numbers and they can see those things every single day and not just having a sheet with percentages and different things like that, or using tendos and, and trying to get a certain meters per second, um, on all the exercises we do, I think was, was huge. And I see the athletes see that, um, they have something to shoot for and it's something to try to achieve every single day and not just mindlessly go through the workout. And that's something too, I'm continuing to try to implement in the program is having like a, I don't say a foolproof, but a way to auto regulate everything. Um, not just the lifting, but the running, um, the aerobic work, all those things that we think needs to be done to prepare the athlete for the demands of their sport. Um, I felt like we, we did a pretty good job of, of implementing those things. And we, we've had videos on Instagram and I have videos if people want to kind of see some of the things we did and then we have the results, um, what we got and we, we've had some, we have had some pretty good results with the things over the past eight months. So, we'll, uh, we'll see how that transfers. So I'm, I'm going to jump all over the place here cause you mentioned like five different topics that I wanted to yep. ask you questions about. So yep. 
In terms of the, the Yeses program, mm -hmm. is, is it right that when, if you kind of do it out of the box, it's normally a whole body program, but you mentioned an upper-lower split to try and fit yeah. with that high-low model that you're doing. How many yeah. kind of exercises would you utilize in, in that program, and, and what, could you give an example of what they would be? Yeah, so, you know, when you begin the 1 by 20, most people hear it and they go, okay, so you're just doing one set of 20 on everything. And that's true to begin with just because it, it's such a low intensity, um, not only impacting the central nervous system, but also motor learning wise, if you're teaching somebody all these exercises. And, that, and that's what we really do with our freshmen is I teach them all the movements, if it's a, a squat variation, a bench press variation, and all of the single joint exercises, which I know a lot of people don't agree with, um, you know, we go through 17 to 20 exercises, and that's why we only can do one set, because it takes so much time if you were to do multiple sets with those, and in that minimal effective dose idea. Once you start progressing towards the, you know, what they say, the 14s, um, that's where the intensity is obviously going to raise, um, and you know, we've discussed this of, uh, of kind of all the people that have used it. And there's a couple college strength coaches that use it. Matt Tomey, who spoke at the Central Virginia Clinic, um, Ryan Bracious at Wisconsin Whitewater. You know, we've always had these discussions because people will tell us, well, this is what you should do. Um, and Jeff's given suggestions. But, you know, Jeff has been in the team sports realm, I guess, Jeff Moyer. But um, really trying to implement in the team sports realm is, you know, another a difficulty i guess but once we get into the 14 range um that's where when the intensity is raised and that's when we would split it because then instead of doing jumps three days a week and doing the same workout three days a week so monday wednesday friday looks the same when you're in the 20s when we get to the 14s it might be upper lower upper lower just to split it up because the intensities get so high um and we have templates for these levels, I guess we have four levels of guys. So we have a white level, a, a gray level, a red level and a black level when they progress, depending upon some standards that we have. Um, but when we split it, it's just because of the intensity. So when we went this summer, most of the guys, um, there was no freshman until the second part of the semester. Um, most of those guys have already been in the system for at least a half a year to a year. So they've already progressed out of the twenties and the 14. So the intensity has risen. So we need to split it up because them squatting that heavy technically to what their max would be rep max wise. I just don't think they can handle it. And then you think minimal effective dose. Why do we need to do that much? Um, so when we get into those days, say for a lower body day, um, if we do our specialized exercises, which, Dr. Yestis talks about, you know, the knee drive, the paw back exercises on um, the different active cord lunge variations. Then we would go into some type of squat variation. Um, and that may change upon level. Some guys may do step ups just to make a change to the stimulus of the exercise while other guys may continue to back squat. We may, you know, do a half squat compared to a quarter squat, depending on how close we are getting to the season. So there's even those dynamics, you know, GPP to SPP, in that, I guess, idea of the one by 20 progressing it. Um, but also it might be a squat variation, a hinge variation. You know, we do a lot of calf raises, um, and it's just joint by joint. I mean, we have an exercise sheet that you literally have exercises and we just match up by the joints and it's training those, you know, those joints to strengthen the entire body. But if you have 17 to 20 exercises, when you're doing a three day a week program, when you get into that four day a week program, then it's just going to split. So you might have eight to 10 exercises. And honestly, it's a joint by joint thing. So it's nothing radical. It's a squat, a hinge, a calf raise, an ankle movement, um, you know, maybe a glute hip movement. And you kind of just go from there and, and you continue it on until you feel like it's not progressing. And then you may change the reps, the exercise, the volume, um, or even the intensity. And then you're just trying to continue to push the adaptation as you go. And that will differ for every single athlete. So that's, you know, your standard, fairly logical progression, yeah. uh, up, down, uh, resistance training. You, you yeah. and I have talked previously about your use of eccentrics, isometrics, and, and different types of isometrics that you implement with your work. When do you make the cool to, to implement that with your guys and how does that progress as well? So for example, from say, I, I believe you use like longer duration holds and then into go, going to like 
Caldeet style like drop ISOs, for example. Yeah. And that's something we that was something new to our program this year was the use of isometrics. And if you would call it a single leg variation in the program, because um, I've tried a lot of different things just from seeing if athletes, you know, really giving them a little bit of choice. So if it's a back squat, a trap bar deadlift, a step up for their main lower body lift, um, you know, majority of our guys would half squat or squat to parallel um, during the GPP phase or the spring, it was say for football. And as we got closer and closer to the season and things became more intensive um, and more towards SPP, um, we would begin, you know, more the the quarter squatting and and not worrying about his depth as much, but more sports specific joint angles and, and kind of getting into the realm of dynamic correspondence. And um, the single leg variations, reading some of the stuff from Chris Corfus and being at his clinics and things like that with Tony Holler, we implemented that to see and try it with our single leg variations. Cause you know, I didn't never do a lot of single leg variations is it, it kind of going in the route of almost like my ideas with Olympic lifting. It's like, we don't need to do single leg variations. You do enough running and all those different things and talking about sprinting and, and going down that, that rabbit hole. But, um, we started doing it as a, as a variation and we would start off with isometrics for about 30 seconds and we would increase the volume. So it'd be like one set of 30 seconds, each leg body weight. And then we would just gradually add weight. And I know Corfus wrote an article, I think on free lap that talked about the fastest people he had could hold the most weight in that position. And he'd have 500 pound squatters that couldn't even hold their body weight for 30 seconds. Um, in that ankle rocker shin and your torso are parallel with each other. Um, and after being at the clinic, we started implementing it and just continued to load it up. We have a safety squat bar. Um, he's big on, you know, the spine, you know, not flexing and, and different things like that. But um, I felt like it, it transferred. When we added it, we had isometrics for a while. And then once we felt like that wasn't moving anymore, we went to more of the traditional Caldeets. Um, we would drop and then hold for three seconds at the bottom and then explode up. And it was more of a, you know, eight to ten reps you know, one to two sets rep scheme. And then we went into more of the oscillatory timed based, um, split squats, um, in that, that joint angle that Chris talks about. Um, but kind of diving down the triphasic training that uh, Caldees talks about. And we did that in the month of J- uh, July, right before the season. Um, and I feel like, you know, we've had some good results. We had several guys, um, in the skill-based realm, I think at least I would say nine to eleven, um, I had to look at the results that could jump thirty-four, thirty-five, or above, um, and that was on a jump mat. And we try to standardize as much as we can, but again, we don't get um, the most I would say genetically gifted athletes. Um, but we've had guys' verticals go up six, seven, eight inches um, in over an eight-month period. So seeing those things too, and kind of adding to the basis of what Dr. Yesis already has, um, which, and when you do it, it's so simple. You think you're doing it wrong, trying to add different things that I'm seeing and what people think works. And I think that's what Chris talks a lot about too, is, um, you know, I think these things work. Um, my fastest people can do them the best, um, and trying to implement with our guys. And I feel like we've gotten some pretty good results. How does the, the ankle rocker stuff tie into that because you know the, the the two big questions i have about that to you is one obviously how you progress it but then two how you implement it in the program because one of the issues that you touched on is is limited time so it's yeah. like are you really going to take something out to put in like a an intrinsic foot exercise for example or yeah. if you ask them to do it by themselves will they do it if you try and put it in elsewhere are you rushing it all that kind of stuff yeah i mean I've even had people see some of the things we know because a lot of the things we we've taken the ankle rocker exercises from is obviously from Chris Corfus. I know he's a big advocate of it. Um, and some of the, the gate guys stuff, um, and the things they do, the ankle rocker shuffles and, and different things like that. And those exercises. Um, but I've had a lot of people also say, you know, why don't you just do ankle mobility to get better range of motion and then do it. Jeff um, and, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, do seated calf raises because that's what, you know, Dr. Yesis and Jeff talk about is do seated calf raises and you're going to get more ankle mobility. Um, but I think even the focus on squatting that way, which we already kind of did with the quarter squatting, because that's a big, you know, thing in itself is 
if you quarter squat your athletes, then, you know, you're not going to parallel and that's not powerlifting standard. And you get down that realm with strength and conditioning. But we already kind of did that because it's the sports squat that, that Cala kind of talks about. And we already did that anyways, but with some of the exercises, um, you know, I feel like guys could have mobility, but in terms of on the field, can they actually get in a position? And that, that's probably more motor learning type of route. But focusing on those things, you know, uh, Corfus and, and Dietz wrote a really good book for football and kind of combining triphasic training and those ideas with drop-offs and things like that. And he talks about the ankle rocker in it, and that's where we really got a lot of it from. Is It takes five minutes, and you can progress certain guys going upstairs, wherever you feel like they're at, and progressing at the beginning of your warm-up and then moving on and just adding a, the component of it. And you're going to get some of it in your exercises anyways, but it might be how you do a step-up. Instead of having a vertical shin, you might have more of a you know an angled shin where you're getting ankle rocker when you step up or stepping up on a higher box or doing the single leg, um, single leg squats, or you could be even doing some of the ankle, I guess, ankle rocker jumps he talks about where you pause and then you explode up, um, which we already kind of did a lot of the ankle jumps we did through, you know, Dr. Yesis's ideas and Dr. Vergashansky's and the extensive stuff. So, um, I, I almost see like they, they kind of see it in the same way. They have different methodologies, but everyone's kind of getting to the same result. And that's what I've noticed with a lot of people is they're getting these results, but you know, maybe they don't even know about each other or I'm reading all this stuff and maybe I'm dead wrong and I'm implementing all this stuff. But, you know, I think in the aspect of implementing it, it it's easy, but again, time-wise, it's just, you've got to have it, the plan together and you've got to be efficient in it if you want to try to get all these components in. So tying into that, would you say that the relationship between the shin angle and the torso angle is more important to you than, say, squatting depth? Because you talked about that's one big thing that coaches will turn their nose up on social media, for example. Yeah, I think that's I've, – I've, you know, as a strength coach and, and kind of coming from a powerlifting background and seeing it that way of getting strong and that cures all – um, I 100% believe that because, you know, Dr. Yes has been talking about it for a long, long time and Cal has talked about it. And then and Chris and I think JL Holsworth have really brought it to the forefront and JL talked about it at the track and football consortium. Um, and he was a, a thousand pound squatter and him owning his own facility. And he talked about it in the sense of, you know, why does it matter if, if you're not following other powerlifting standards like pausing on your chest and then locking the bar out when you bench press? You can't hold this other standard um, to be true. And, and is it more about getting athletes better? Is it more about, you know, putting stuff up on YouTube that my guy squatted 500 pounds parallel or his butt to the ground? Or is it more about, you know, winning rings and winning championships? And that's the way I see it now is it's not, you know, training is not the means to the end, you know, having more points than the other opponent is the means to the end. And that's what we want to do. So if that means we're going to quarter squat, then that's what we're going to do. If it's going to transfer and make us better on the field. Um, now how you correlate all that obviously is the difficult part. Um, but in a sense, you know, I 100% agree with that because we've done it and the more we focused on it. And I think the less that we've done in finding maybe the right things that really do transfer, um, I think that's where we start seeing better and better and better results. And then we go, well, then what else can we do to get even better results? Um, and that might be less or that might be different exercises. Yeah. It always winds me up, you know, when you see those, uh, those like hype videos where they'll, they'll drag squat racks out into the middle of the field, do it at night, turn the lights on and make a huge fuss. But then where's, where's the hype videos for like the four, four forty? Yeah. And that, and that's one of those things, you know, we, you know, I tell every recruit or whatever, we crank the music up, we get after it, but we do certain things to which I think you need to improve. And that's what we want is I don't want you to say you got slower when you came here. Um, if you got bigger and you're the same speed, obviously, you know, that's probably a good thing, but I want you to get faster and I want you to get bigger. Um, because, you know, obviously we're not going to get five-star recruits. So building a better athlete, that's what I truly need to do. And I can have a bunch of squatters, but like I said, the more I've not focused on driving people's weight room numbers up and focus more on sprinting and more athletic things like jumping and movement, our squat numbers have went up. 
and more than I, when I have tried to do it. Um, and I tell some people and you can ask, you know, some other people, I'm like, yeah, this is what our guys can do. And they're like, what? Um, and we have girls I and mean, we had, we had girls on our soccer team that could, um, or our lacrosse team that could broad jump nine feet. Um, they broad jump more than our whole men's soccer team. Um, we had girls that could do 225 for 20 on squat and it was like, it was nothing. And you know, that was like one and a half times her body weight. So it's those things that you tell people and they're like, Oh my gosh. And you're like, yeah, but again, if you're not winning, then it, it, it really doesn't matter. But I think it help can contribute if you, you know, you're going to use strength as the thing, because that's what strength and conditioning coaches want to quantify because it's easily raised and it's easily gained. Um, but we have you to kind of get out of that justify your mindset. existence. Exactly. And that's, <laughs> that's the hard thing because I think the speed aspects are the hardest things I would say to decrease, especially when you start getting in the four, five, four, four range. I mean, if you're a four, eight and you drop somebody a four, five, that's way different than going from a four, four to a four, three and getting people in that realm. Um, that's what I'm interested in. As I say, like right. going from shit to suck is, is a lot easier than <laughs> going from good to great. <laughs> exactly. And, and that is the hard thing because then, you know, you don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole to the point of you're missing the basics. Um, but also, you know, you don't want to wait too long to figure out that your plan sucked and you're not getting any results and you're going to pride yourself in those explosive numbers. And if you pride yourself in those things, then they better be changing if you're going to show it to the athlete. And that's something Tony Hall and them do. I mean, they publish all their stuff on Twitter and they put it on Google Docs and they're like, this is what you ran, so you can't hide. And I mean, that's what I did. I was like, this is your 40 time. And you get guys that are like, man, I can run this. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to take your second fastest time on my hand watch. We have two people timing you. I'm going to post in the locker room so you can see what you really ran. So all, all the dudes in there can see. And, you know, the talking can truly begin and <laughs> doing that more really helped, I think, because guys now get out the feeling like, what did he run? And I tell them they're like, all right, but it's one of those things too. You can't force the speed. You've got to relax when you do it. So it's like a, it's like a double negative almost because in the weight room, you can be like, oh, he did this much weight. Let's roll. And they just, you know, get the smell and salts and get under the bar and it may look horrible, but speed is one of those things that you really have to you know, find different ways to improve. And it's not just about doing more. And that's the hard thing to quantify to an athlete. Yeah. With, with the, the, the auto-regulatory stuff, are you trying to auto-regulate everything or is it certain key abilities at certain times? And then also, are you, are you looking for a certain percentage drop-off to try and fit your schedule? Because I've just finished reading the, uh, the InnoSport manual and he talks about, for yep. example, you know, a four-day turnaround would be 6% drop-off once yep. a week would be 10%, for example. Yeah. And I think Chris talked about that at the the track and football consortium. Um, I would love to figure out a way. And that's something that you really, the one by 20 kind of showed me and critiquing different things about it is, you know, if you don't have all the technology like a Tendo and different things like that, it, if you can hit a solid 20 or a solid 14 or a solid eight, whatever you're, you're going after, if it's multiple sets, whatever, especially with the main movements like a back squat if you hit one set of 14 after you're warm you're not going to be able to choose a, a heavy weight to do 14 reps unless obviously you're tremendously strong but that's all relative to how strong you are um and that's the one thing i've seen like we talk about testing and i think that's you know i've seen some articles about that lately is like training needs to be testing and testing needs to be training and finding times to test when you don't have a lot of time like in the college setting um, your training has to be, have the ability to be trackable in the sense and, and using some of the methods we do with the drop-offs, you can see the highs and lows of everything every day. Now we may not change as much and that can get boring, but even with the lifting program, I mean, you can kind of see and just chart it in a line chart of where guys are going. If they dropped, if they add reps, if they added weight, if we move them, um, they have arrows on their sheet. Like this felt easy today. I'm going to go up next time. I, this felt perfect. This is the right weight for me, or this is way too much. I'm crushed even using RPs and different things like that. Um, but that, I mean, I feel like more of shooting for, you know, I guess Bosch kind of talks about like the knowledge of result and figuring that out more. Uh, that's something I'm trying to push with all of the training. Cause I don't have any of the technology. I, have, I, I guess I have two tendos and I have a stopwatch. 
So figuring out how can I do that in a group setting where everybody can get what they need. Um, and I think we're, that's where a lot of the RPE stuff, the APRE, um, and a lot of the, you know, even West Side, you talk about West Side Barbell and doing what you can do today. Um, you know, I'm not a huge maximal effort lifting type of person. I believe submaximal will build the maximal strength tremendously and figuring out those ways. And that's kind of how I stumbled upon the Dr. Yes's stuff because I saw it and I was like, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, if you can do this much today, um, that might be the perfect amount where I'm not doing too much, but I also can see. You know, you do four sets of five at 60%, I can get it done in one set and we're doing the same thing. And then I can move on to something else where you're sitting in the squat rack and time wise, it's more efficient for me. Um, so I think moving in that direction is what I would like to do. Um, but it is difficult just because how can you track everything and making sure you're doing it right in the right volume um, in certain exercises? And that's why, you know, I'm really continuing to try to seek. That's I'm, I'm going through the same kind of thought process myself at the moment because, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're utilizing like a, a vertical integration organization yep. of training. So we, we, we try and pick at certain stages throughout the year, right? We're going to focus on this and then the rest, we're just going to drop to like a retention volume and try and do the bare minimum. So then yep. the, the idea that I have in my head is, right, whatever the key ability is, we're going to auto-regulate that and try and hit the optimal volume every single session and then the rest yep. we just drop it to like a retention but then like you said it's trying to figure out a way to to accurately track performance in that stuff with the time and the resources and and the amount of staff that you have so i think it's it's quite an interesting question to to yeah. put around your head <laughs> yeah and i think and i think in just i've never been in a you know a major university or an fps school I've always been at a smaller school where I have three weight rooms and have to drive around to different weight rooms and train teams or, you know, the, the weight room I'm at right now is the biggest weight room I've been at and it's pretty wide open in terms of space and those things. And, um, we have a ton of teams, so it's figuring out, you know, a system almost and that you can put together where you can almost accurately track things. But I think even for the intention of the athlete, what are they going at today? Are they not just doing work to do it and mindlessly going through it? Do they have a number? Do they have um, a time? Do they have something that they can shoot for every day that with those drop-offs, um, you know, you can get the individual training for each athlete and figuring out across the board. Now, again, I don't obviously know how to do that, but that's something that, that tremendously interests me because then I feel like it just makes the training so much more custom for everybody. And I feel that's where stuff that you know jeff and yosef and them talk about that's where it gets at um but then with the speed work and all those other things you know finding those right volumes and i think the ranges help and what charlie talks about and a lot of other people talk about what they found at work um but it's just continuing to explore that and, and figuring that system out for your setting yeah it's quite interesting like you mentioned with the the traditional values that that people tend to say oh you know a guy's gonna do this many good reps as a team average it almost always confirms those traditional values when you when you do measure every single rep, but then it's the the spread within your group that's interesting yep. because you know you may yep. have one guy that gets two or three and you have another guy that can keep going all day and get say twelve reps. Yeah, and that's I think that's where the value in it lies is is making sure that you're giving not what the squad needs as an average, but then what each individual player needs each individual day. Yeah, for sure, and I think that's where. Having a system where you can, if you can do it staffing wise or even a trust with an athlete of giving them what they need and like you don't need this much today or this exercise is not working for you, we're going to cross this out and add something else in. And then being able to really individualize it in a team setting, um, you know, in a perfect world, you can do that. But then that becomes, you know, more of the, the psychological and the other things with new athletes versus older athletes. Are you moving people up? Can you trust them to go do this exercise um, and just kind of the culture that you have, um, but pushing that I'm doing what's best for you today. Um, and this is what you're going to do and getting that across to the athletes. And I think that's where the minimal effective dose thing is kind of the overall idea is we're going to do what you need, not how much you can handle. Um, and I know you can handle a lot more because obviously I know you want to, but why don't we just do this today? And then when we get to go test and I'll show you that, you know, the results are probably more than if you would have done X amount or even comparing it to before, 
um, I think is, you know, kind of the selling point. So jumping topic again, and talking about your, you mentioned bringing in new kind of skill progressions for speed and agility this year, adding Mm -hmm. in variability and and actually looking for guys to fail occasionally in the drills. (laughs) What determines the level of variability that you introduce or the level of complexity so how how would guys progress through your drills does it start very traditional and then get to that stuff or are you just jumping in at the deep end yeah it, it would be um you know in the beginning of the year you would say with football or even basketball at the very end of their season or you're going into more of a traditional off season far away from the season um we do a lot of just basic cutting technique um i know jeff moore talks about it a lot um, where you just start out walking into a 45 degree cut or a 90 degree cut and then you you kind of three steps in four steps in maybe jog in and, and continue to build upon you know 60 percent effort 70 percent effort 80 percent effort in a agility change direction type drill and as we got closer to the summer we kind of up tempoed it a little bit more in our multi-directional stuff um, so guys were tr- continually moving um but changing the environment. So they either had a med ball in their hand, the environment, the ground was different. Um, you know, just adding these different elements of like, we would play different music. We would play different things where it just may distract them enough, um, to give it just a slight change, um, a little chaos into the environment. Um, and then we went to more just traditional drills. Um, a lot of our younger guys, we would have the drill set up, Um, and I know John kind of talked about this a little bit where he would almost have like, I wouldn't say supersets, but almost be like, we're going to do a cutting drill. We're going to do this and then we're going to put it all together. And he may almost put guys through certain stages or levels. And that's the hard thing in the team setting is if you got 60 guys and you have freshmen to seniors, how do you break them up? And initially when I did it, it was, all right, we're going to run this drill. Um, freshman, you're just going to go the drill at X pace and then when we feel comfortable, we'll begin to step like increase the intensity. And then our older guys, if I felt like their movement quality, whatever we're trying to do, if it's a certain type of cut or whatever, then we would add an environmental change. So it might be having a pipe on their back where they can't use their arms. Um, it might be having a med ball. It might be, um, like I said, we had old pieces of turf that we put on our turf or on the track and they would do accelerations or they would do halos around their head doing accelerations with a five pound plate or punching the plate out. And I know prior talks about restoration of balance and those kind of thing. And and those ideas, you know, we wouldn't add the element of change until I felt like the athlete could properly just do a regular drill. And we had restrictions of, we maybe have four drills where it may be more, um, you know, different types of cutting drills, more of 45 degree, 90 degree. There might be more of a speed cut type of drill. There might be um, more of a shuffle or a crossover type of drill. And, I, and how you progressed, I think, in, in the, the Central Virginia Manual, the new one that Jay released, how you kind of progress just a regular drill into more of a reactive, then we would start doing that. We would give guys math problems, and they have to figure it out, and then they would have to run through a maze of colored cones. And, and we did just different things to change it, where we did the same drill maybe once or twice a week, but I changed how we did it. So they couldn't figure it out and go through the drill um, and work on some of the movement qualities that they're going to see in their sport. Interesting, man. So I, I didn't yeah. realize you, you read that chapter. <laughs> yeah, and I... I uh, I actually just got through the book. So I just got uh, Fergus Connolly's new book in the mail today. So that's my next, um, I guess, dive in. But yeah, I mean, I think, I, you know, the way you outlined it and talking to uh, Graham Morris a little bit too, um, you know, just progressing those things, but we just, we just changed it a little bit away with the environment. And like I said before, I never thought of doing that. Like, you know, not changing the movement as much like i guess i attribute to like west side like you still bench press but you change your grip yeah. it's almost that mindset of doing that with agility drills and i've been really fascinated with dr bondarchuk stuff and um, i've talked to several people about applying it in a team sports setting um but you know specificity and different things like that maybe not changing your weights in the weight room and your general things as much but that's the thing that needs to have a ton of variability in it because that's what sport is. Um, but how do you properly develop those motor habits 
um, and progress those intensities um, is one thing, but also having, you know, three coaches and you have a bunch of athletes at yeah. different <laughs> levels of movement. How do you do that? Um, because even in the college setting, I mean, with sprinting or all those things, you say, Hey, you got three, but you got like seven and the athletes are, like, why do I only have three? And this guy's like, why do I have seven? And how do you break those up? How do you plan those things to give everybody the right volume? Um, but also make sure that they're progressing in stages to that they're actually learning and they actually can use those qualities around the field and not just doing it to do it and say you do it. Man, this has been awesome. Uh, another uh, podcast where I've got a page full of notes. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, where can people find you online? Um, they can find me on Twitter. Um, my Twitter name is McCormick 7 um, you know, we try to post a lot of stuff now through our actual page that we have for our weight room. It's called Gardner Web AP, um, athletic performance. And we try to put up a lot of different things on Instagram and, and Twitter. Um, and a lot of the ideas, um, like I said, I'm very open-minded. I, I try to do as much as I can and, and see things and not just implement everything I see. Um, but build upon a lot of the theory, um, that I feel like I finally, as a coach, I read it and I read some of those Eastern block books and I, you know, talk to different people. And now I'm like, okay, my athletes are not ready for this. or my athletes can do this and, and trying some of those things and just, you know, talking to coaches like yourself and, and adding those things to the program. I tell everybody, if, if you do it better than me and you get better results, I want to know, cause I might change everything I do to get better results for the athletes. So. I said, I said to someone yesterday, num- numbers are the uh, the ultimate argument, and um, you know, having seen yours, it's it's obvious you're doing a a great job there. So thank you very much for this, man. No problem. I appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers.